Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We are going to start at Ephesians 1, 3, and 14, 3 through 14. It is a bit lengthy, but it's going to be able to assist us as we go forth in the teaching today. And Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through, blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And the last bit, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And when I looked at these scriptures and I read the word, they were so powerful to me. And I saw something in them that I hadn't seen before and that always happens to me when I go to study the word. And what was so powerful to me and what stuck out to me were the three things, these three crucial things that God did as it pertains to us, his beloved children. And the first one is that he chose us before the foundation of the world and he, because he predestined us as sons to Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself. So what that showed me is that before God even said, let there be, before God even said, we're going to form the stars, the galaxies, anything in the world, he chose us before he formed anything that we can see with our eyes, with the naked eye, anything that we can reach out and touch, he chose us and predestined us to him. And the second thing I saw and I realized and I recognized that was crucial in these scriptures was that in these verses is that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We all know this. That is elementary really because we know that we are saved by his grace, the forgiveness of sins. But that is also crucial for some of us who really get caught up in just what we did five years ago, what we did 10 years ago, what we did that didn't fall, where we fell short of his glory. And that's not always the case. Amen. And lastly, the third crucial part that I found in this is that in him we have obtained an inheritance. And also this was predestined, by the way. So before, so if we go back, before he even formed the world, he not only chose us, but we obtained an inheritance from him as his sons and as his daughters. And so for me, what that showed me is that God has always been clear cut 
about who he is and who we are as his chosen ones. He, it has never been up for debate, and it has never been up for question, but us as believers, we tend to question it every single day. And so for me, what I am come to really teach on today is that what is the one thing the enemy comes after for in this generation? Our identity. He comes after our identity. That is literally, so today, I am going to be unmasking the identity of a generation because that is the sinister agenda of the enemy against us, is that to make us doubt who we are, and in a world where gender fluidity has become common and has become the norm, we are going to unmask the identity of a generation, and we're going to dig it up because it's been buried by so much toxic waste that we see in the media, that we see in our schools, that we see even in interactions with people. So that is what we're going to be addressing today in this teaching. Is that all right? Amen. And so before I delve into that, I just have to really just lay the foundation. Our identity is in Christ. We all know this, we should know this. Our identity is in Christ, our destiny, our purpose, our access, our jurisdiction, our influence, all of that starts with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the author of our identity because he knew us before we were even formed in the womb. You could see this clearly in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, what I just read. But also, that is why if the devil can make you doubt or question who you are in Christ and lead you down a path of forgetfulness or lead you down a path where you not only forget but you lose that identity, he is going to be able to take you away from the will of God for your life. And that is his agenda. That is his strategy. That is his tactic. And so for me, what I have to ask you this morning is, what is your identity? What has God purposed for you to do in the earth? What, has, what giftings has he planted on the inside of you? What anointings has he called for you to walk in? You have to question these because if you don't and if you haven't, gotten the revelation that of that yet you have to contemplate and say lord you have to take the time out to ask him ask the lord and seek his face because if you see and jesus said in in john 6 and 35 he says i am the bread of life and whoever comes from me to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst so all you have to do is seek him and he will give you the answers that you are looking for you cannot stay in a place where your identity is not intact or where you're not sure of where you're going in Christ or what he's doing in you because that is what leaves you susceptible for the enemy to come in and define that for you and so that brings me to the point that resistance is the enemy of progression and momentum. It is the enemy of it because your identity is contingent on being able to progress even when things don't look right, even when things don't look or feel the right way, even when things feel untethered, even when things look shaky. You have to be able to be to discern and ascertain who you are in the midst of those trials and those tribulations and those circumstances because who you are in Christ does not allow the, or give the enemy the leeway or the space to run amok. 
It is impossible. Why? Because God, our sovereign Lord, does not show you who you are in him for the enemy to turn around and convince you otherwise. It is impossible. If God shows you and purposed you for something, you know that it is going to come to pass no matter what the enemy throws at you. You know that whatever comes your way, no, ma no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what the smokescreen looks like, the fulfillment of the assignment on your life and what God has predestined and ordained for your inheritance is yours. It is yours. And so the mandate for this generation is to find your identity in Christ. Who he has called you to be once again. The giftings he's planted inside of you. This is the mandate. But the problem is, this is the problem. We want blessings, but we don't want Jesus. The curator and cultivator of the blessing in the first place. And that is a problem that my generation faced because they want all of the blessings of the Lord. They want God to move in mighty ways, but they do not want Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord, to be the center and the focal point of every single thing they do. And that is a travesty. It's a travesty. And as believers, why are we so afraid and averse to be used by God when the enemy uses us all the time? In 2 Timothy 2 and 26, it says, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This generation has been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. And purpose. So why is it the first central thought and reaction to God calling you into a deeper place in him, into a deeper covenant in him, usually typically fear, doubt, uncertainty? You will question God's divine will before you question the enemies. And so that is why we have to address because when the enemy uses you to trigger someone unknowingly, when the enemy uses your own mind against you, when the enemy uses your own emotions against you, he is using you for his will. He is using you for his purpose. When the accuser of the brethren won't let you forget something you did five years ago, so you are carrying it around like dead weight, when God forgave you five years ago, that is the enemy utilizing his devices against you. And so if the enemy can use you so freely, why is it like pulling teeth when God is calling us into a deeper place in him? You'll be the first one to say, Lord, I don't measure up. Lord, I don't got it. Lord, I don't know why you chose me. I've been there. I've been like, Lord, I don't measure up. And then it got to a point in my walk with Christ where he said to me, I never asked you if you measured up. I just asked you if you were willing to pick up your cross and follow me. And that shifted my entire paradigm and my entire trajectory in Christ. Because when I looked at Luke 9.23 that way, where he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. I started to look at the kingdom differently. I started to look at the assignment differently. And so that is really what this generation has got to come to a, an understanding of because the deceptive nature of the enemy is to expose you to the demonic realm in such a way that it makes you believe the lies that he whispers into your ear.
I can really use myself as an example because he steals your area of dominion and rulership because he appeases your flesh in such a way that it diminishes your seat of authority in Christ. And my example where my personal life is that for me, not leading on the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and really on the strength of who he is and who he has called me to be in my identity in him left me in a space where it was a masquerade of faith on my, in, my life, in my life and on my behalf. Because what God has done for me is that he has shown me. For me, I don't know about you, but my covenant with God is that it is based on faith. So the covenant is based on him testing that faith every single chance he gets. I mean, he puts that faith to the test. And for me, at the beginning of this journey with Christ and this walk with him, I was like, okay, Lord, I know you have gifted me with the gift of faith. I know that because there are certain things that I have faith in that I I say to people and they look at me like I'm crazy. It don't make any sense, but that's all right because I'm learning and I'm understanding that who I am in Christ, he is calling me into places that won't make sense to nobody else. And he's calling you into places that will not make sense to your, your husband, your wife, your friends, your family members. You're going to be at the family cookout and then you're going to be like, yep, the Lord has called me to do this. And they're going to be like, he did what? And you're going to have to set your face like flint because that is really when you're able to know who you are in him, you're not easily moved. You don't flinch. Amen? And so for me, because I've been in situations where the Lord has revealed to me during my prayer times and really through revelation, certain things that he's wanted me to birth, certain things that he's wanted me to do, I have found myself in situations where I was like, Lord, I don't know how, how do you expect me to do this? How do you expect me to bring, take this from here and manifest it to this point? But it was so interesting because one of the very key things that, and I say this all the time, is that one of the key things that the Lord showed me clear as day was that the call that I had to be the youth director here at this church. Because originally I was just a member, but for the first time ever, the first time I ever heard the Lord speak to me was when he was telling me that he wanted me to take over the youth ministry. That was the first time I actually heard his voice. Clear as day, like someone was in my room, I was in my prayer chair, and I heard it. I said, oh, so that's what you want me to do. And when I went for it, and then he showed me, he showed it to me in a dream. And I had a dream, and he showed me what the youth ministry and what our youth conferences would look like five years from now. And it was amazing. And I was like, Lord, I can't wait. And then I woke up, and he said, now build it. And I said, Lord, we don't, we don't got nothing. Like, we, we trying, we're building still. But he said, take what I give you and start building. And in that moment, I couldn't have an identity crisis. I, I couldn't say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if this is what you really said. Or I, I couldn't start questioning it because I had to start working. I had to start moving. I had to start manifesting. I had to start putting things together. And so that is why, for me, as a, a millennial, who has learned and who has discovered who I am in Christ, seeing others in my, that my, in my generation who are my age, there are more lost souls in this generation than found ones. There are more people, more people that are looking for their purpose and their destiny and who they're called to be and who they're supposed to be. And they're looking at for it in all these different places. 
and overlooking the one central truth that your identity is in Jesus Christ. And so for me, my life has become really according to Galatians 2 and 20, where it is, I have been crucified with Christ, for it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have literally become that, and it's become flesh in me. It's become who I am. It's become what I breathe. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, because I know that what he is bringing me into, it is purpose for a generation. But if you don't know who he has called you to be, you will relinquish and you will squander what he has called you to build. And so what I also learned in really figuring out my identity in Christ was this. God will make you die to the very thing he's calling, in, calling you to have dominion over. And he will cause you to die to it over and over and over again. And for me, that's, that was money. Because money for me, I'm dead. Like, it's dead. To, like, I, it doesn't even matter to me. I say this to my family all the time. And I think it's a, a family thing. But I am so dead to money. But the reason I'm dead to money was because God brought me through situations where he was like, I'm going to make you die to this. And I know that that is the reason he did this was because he's calling me to have bountiful finances into my hands. And he's calling me to be a financer of the kingdom. And he's calling me to help finance it. And so I know that whenever God is calling you to do something, he'll make sure that your flesh and everything in you is dead to it first. Because he can't use you to do something if it still lives in you. So for me, if God tells me, empty your bank account and bring this here by the end of the day, my bank account will be emptied and it will be brought to that place because I've done it before and I will do it again. Why? Because God needed to teach me and to get and grip out of me a level of obedience and yielding to him because he knew that if I'm going to bring you much, I must see how, you, how faithful you are over the little. And I have been places where I have had little. I have not had two pennies to rub together. I didn't know where the next meal was coming from. I didn't know where my rent was coming from. But then the Lord was like, I want you to empty this out and give it and sow it. And I'm like, okay. And I obeyed. I obeyed. Why? Because I knew that in my obedience, that's my covenant with God. I made a covenant with God two years ago. I said, Lord, if I obey your divine will for my life, your purpose, and everything that you're saying concerning me, concerning what you need me to do, if I am obedient to your will and to everything that you use me for as an instrument, I want an open heaven when I pray. That was the covenant. And this covenant is not for the weak-minded. It's not for the weak at heart. And because you have to have a level of discipline that is contingent and that is conducive for that, because there are times when you're gonna need to be, you're gonna need to be obedient, and you don't want to be. There are times that there are things that the Lord is going to call you to obey in and to be obedient in, and you're gonna be like, Lord, what is that? That costs you everything. But what are you willing to sacrifice to see the full manifestation of your identity in Christ to be birthed out and built up in you? Amen. You guys still with me? Amen. And so for me, for me, I really wanted to just delve deeper into this because I wanted to experience God in such a mighty way because we've seen church as normal. 
And for my generation, what we are dealing with now is that a lot of the people that I know, a lot of people my age, don't want anything to do with the church. They want to, they just say, oh, I don't need to be in front. Like, I don't need to be in a church to experience God. And that is a lie. That is a lie, a bold-faced lie. It is. Because you need to be in the presence of other believers because iron sharpens iron. You need people that are able to hold you accountable. You need people that are going to be able to pour into your life to uncap your destiny, to uncap your purpose, to uncap who you're supposed to be in Christ. How are you going to do that if you're not in the four walls of his church? And so for me, I always address this with them head on because I know that when I hear these things in my conversations with my peers, I have to nip it in the bud real quick because I know, I'm like, you do not even know who you are in Christ, but you're saying that you do not need his church. That is an oxymoron. It just doesn't factor. It just doesn't make sense. They don't match. It's like two plus two does not equal four. You need the guidance and the counsel of the Lord and his legislated authority to be able to go into the things of God that he is bringing and ordained over your life. It is not going to happen in your room when you're sitting down doing, just trying to pray and do all that. You need to be in a house of the Lord that is saturated with his divine presence. Amen? And so for me, when I learned that the Lord was bringing resources into my hand. It was really confirmation a couple of weeks ago. So we were putting on the youth conference and we were, we sent out sponsorships after sponsorships. I mean, we sent out so many sponsorships to all these nonprofits, businesses in the area, in the region. And we were like, we were believing the Lord to bring the resources and to bring the finances in. And after we sent them out, weeks went by, we heard nothing. I heard nothing back. And so we kept praying, I kept praying, I kept praying. I'm like, Lord, I am believing you for this. And we kept fundraising and thank, you, thank the Lord that our, our members were really able to pull together and we were able to raise the finances. But we were believing God to bring in those resources, to bring in those sponsorships, and nothing came back. And one morning, I went into my prayer time. I was like, Lord, I'm a tither. You said in Malachi 3 and 10 that if you bring all the tithe into the storehouse, you're going to open up. I literally went for broke. Which I was like, Lord, I tithe. I give you my 10%. I give you more than 10%. I, I give you everything I have. I was like, so why is nothing moving when I've been praying and travailing and pushing in the realm of the spirit? And the Holy Spirit said to me, or impressed upon my spirit, he said, I have called you to be a financier of the kingdom. You are the resource. This house is the resource. So the resources are coming into your hand. They're not coming from the outside. And so in that moment, I recognized, I said, oh, I'm a financier. All the while I was sitting here praying for God to bring things and praying for God to do things and have those sponsorships answered. But he was like, you're the resource. I'm bringing it into your hand. And sure enough, he did it. He did it. And so for me, I learned in that moment, I remembered that creation is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. We all know this, but our generation is called to walk in the fullness of who God has called us to be, who he needs us to be in him. But rather than accepting that as our reality, we have people who resemble the parable of the talents where they bury their one talent in the ground. 
There are people, especially in my generation, that have buried the gift that God has placed on the inside of them. There are some that have buried their destinies. There are some that have buried their anointings. There are some that have buried the blessing that God has assigned to their lives. And that is what this generation is contending with. Our blessings, our identities, who we are called to be in Christ is buried under such a thick toxic waste of things that are not even supposed to be in us in the first place but we can't even dig it out to reach the place in the core of what God needs us to be and who he has called us to be because we're so distracted by the fillers and by the blinders that is appointed by the media and by this world I'm telling you it is a smokescreen it is not real it is meant to take you away from the will of God and it is working it is working And so realizing and accepting who you are in Christ and what you carry is a scary thing because it is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. It is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Good. Because when you are walking in your purpose and in your destiny and who God has called you to be, a lot of people are going to feel shifty. And they're going to question, they're going to try to question, did you really hear from God? They're going to try to diminish it. They're going to try to talk down to it. But I am here to tell you that when you stand flat-footed in your faith of who God has called you to be, it is going to make them really uncomfortable. But that's how you know that you are doing something right. Because nothing that God is ever going to do in your life is going to be in your comfort zone. Nothing. He will always take you into a place where you are completely uncomfortable, completely in a, like, just, you don't know what's about to happen. You are literally like Peter walking on, trying to walk on water, and you start drowning. You are in a place of just not being in your comfort zone. It is not comfortable, and it never will be. Because if you're going to fulfill what God has called you to fulfill in the earth, if you're going to be who God has called you to be in the earth, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Amen? So I must say this again. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is your identity. But when you minister, because when you minister to the word of the Lord, and when you minister in any capacity, it is not you ministering, but the Holy Spirit, the minister that comes in your stead. When you are interceding on behalf of people, it is not you. It is Jesus Christ, the intercessor that is using you as an instrument and a vessel for his divine will and purpose. And when you stretch out your hand to pray for people, it is not true reaching out to them, but Jesus Christ himself. And so when your identity is Jesus Christ and you recognize that it stopped being about you a long time ago, it is very easy for you to die to yourself. Death becomes easy. It is very easy for you to die to your wants, to your desires, to your needs, because you have an understanding and you see the kingdom with a clarity in a way that surpasses the finite human understanding. When you're able to let go of yourself and able to die to yourself and recognize that it's not being about you and it's all about Jesus Christ, you will be able to willingly yield your life before the altar of the Lord. Amen? And when it came to Abraham, he knew who he was in Christ and when in the God that he served. And you could see, see this in Romans 4, 20 to 21. It said, when Paul said, 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. The way your identity is challenged and becomes distorted starts from your mind first. It starts from your mind. And that is why renewing your mind daily is so pivotal. You're not just renewing your mind to keep your salvation. You're renewing your mind to make sure that your identity stays intact. So that what you believe, seek, and manifest is done according to the truth of the living word of God. The heart governs the mind, yes. But the mind governs our actions and what we actually carry out in the kingdom concerning the will of God in your life. And so the gospel, it brings us to the point where you, we have to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. We're the ones who overcomplicated. Paul said this to the church of Corinth. He said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And Paul warns us not to be corrupted away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And the Greek word for simplicity in this verse means singleness and exclusiveness. And in other words, Christ is not a complex entity. The truth about him is very simple. It is very simple. Jesus is God. He was crucified. He was born of a virgin. He was crucified and raised from the dead. But I'm afraid our generation has just been corrupted away from the singular truth. You do not have to be corrupted away from the single truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. It is simple. He died for our sins. He became sin in order for us to have an everlasting life, for us to be able to go into the presence of the Lord, for him to be able to be an intercessor and intercede on our behalf, to be the intermediary on behalf of his chosen ones. That is who Jesus Christ is. It is simple. But this generation is being corrupted away from this simple truth. And at the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to receive a new identity. You see this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, whereas we all know this verse, it says, therefore, whoever is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some, uh, some verses say creation, but we, are, we have a new identity. And so what it shows us is that in Jesus, we do not lose our true selves, but we become our true selves in him. That is what it means at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and a believer because our identity is in him. And so what it means is that God made us who we are so we can make known who he is. And I have to say this again. God made us who we are so we can make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. That is our purpose. That is our mandate. The lives that we lead, who we are as individuals. I say this to the Lord all the time. I always say in my prayer time, I say, Lord, kill everything in me that kills the you in me. That is my prayer to the Lord because my goal in life is to live a life that is pleasing to him in such a way that I want my life to bring honor to his. My entire life, I said, Lord, I want my life to honor yours. So the way I live my life has got to honor your life and what you have sacrificed for me because I know that I am chosen. I know that I have an inheritance. I know that I'm yours and no one else's. So when you understand that you are his, 
You can't be moved by the fickle things of this world. You are not moved. You're not moved. This year has been a year of tremendous trial for me. Tremendous trial. But I said this. I said this in a sermon before. It was revealed to me in our New Year's Eve service, the Lord, what the Lord was bringing me into. And he said to me, while we were praying, I was trying to stay focused on just serving. I was serving that night. And the Lord gripped me. And I went into a trance and a vision I don't know what it was, but I was just laid out on the floor over here when I'm supposed to be a ministry technician. I'm supposed to be holding the pot. I don't even know where the pot is. And the Lord said to me, I am taking you into a season. I'm taking you into a season. And no matter what happens, don't falter. Don't flinch. I'm taking you into a season of isolation. And so I said, okay. I got up out of that. My sister was with me in the service, and she's so excited. She was like, the New Year's Eve service was so powerful. I had such an amazing time. And I'm like, yep, I'm glad you did, because I'm going to a season of isolation. So she was like, we barely see you now. I was like, I know. I know, because I knew that God was taking me into a place. But he assured my victory. So I said to my family, I said, no matter what you see me go through this year, don't question me about it. Don't say what's going on. Don't say, are you all right? Just, I'm going to be good. Don't even question it. Just say, oh, all right, she going, she, she good. She good. And sure enough, tests and trials came. And I sat there and I said, Lord, I trust you. And I am not going to move out of my seat of authority in you. So I'm going to keep praying. So whatever is happening, all hell was breaking loose. In Jesus' name. Can we say hell? All hell was breaking. <laughs> all hell was breaking loose. And the thing is, sometimes you may think that all hell is breaking loose because you're not obedient or you're not fulfilling the will of God for your life. But no, that's not always the case. Sometimes hell will come for God to show you who you are in him so that you never forget it. I was in a place of such tremendous trial. But I set my face before God. I set my face in prayer. I would wake up in mornings. I'm crying. I don't even know what time of day it is. I'm sitting here. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what is going on, but I believe in you. And I'm your daughter. So I know you got to shift it. So shift it. And shift he did. Every single time the Lord came out and he showed out. And I said to my family, I said, this is our year. Why? Because God is going to blow our minds. And he blows my mind every single day. Every single day. But you have to believe him that way. You have to believe him that way. And so for me, before God can really show you who you are, he has to first take you on a journey to show you what you actually carry. He has to. Because that's the only way that if you don't know what you carry, you're just going to be able to just be stuck in places or caught up in places that were not meant for you in the in the first place and so for me the way the Lord did this was that when I first started my business when I first started my consulting business and I really the Lord had called me into entrepreneurship and he had I received a prophetic word from Pastor CJ regarding regarding it which was really confirmation about what he was calling me into and I was I went before the Lord I said Lord what should I charge for this because I always felt guilty because I felt I was charging too much 
I'm like, Lord, nobody's going to buy this. Who's going to want to pay this amount for, for all of this? I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And so I went before prayer. I said, like, Lord, whatever you need me to charge, I need you to tell me. I need you to let me know. And right away, the Lord didn't give me an answer. Instead, he took me on a journey. And the first thing the Lord did was that he changed my entire job title at the company I work for. He changed my entire job title for me to be the head of that content marketing for them. And so I said, okay. And then he brought me into a space where I started doing all of these things that I had never done before. And he made me tap into a reservoir of creativity that I had never tapped into before. And if there was something in that office to be done, I was doing it. If there was something regarding marketing, regarding branding, regard, I mean, you name it, he made me do it. I found, he found areas for me to work and to make sure that I became not only efficient in it, but excelled in it. That was all before I ever had a client for my marketing business, ever, before I even had my first client. And so he brought me through those things, and it wasn't because he was testing me. He was showing me what I carried, and he was showing me that he anointed me for it, and he anointed you too. There are businesses in are people here right now in this room. There are business ideas. There are business conquests. There are things you want to birth out. There are things you want to fulfill in the kingdom. And you are sitting here like, Lord, what do I do? How do I start? But the Lord anointed you for it. He anointed you to be in the marketplace. He anointed you to be a blessing to the marketplace because he, the kingdom is not just the church. It is not just the church. We have to be able to build something substantial for the kingdom in the marketplace. And he had to show me that. And so once I realized what I carried, I went back into prayer. I said, Lord, whatever you tell me to charge, that's what I'm going to charge. And he gave me a number. And it wasn't about the money. It was literally the Lord showing me his, my identity in him and what he has called me to carry in the marketplace. And what he has called me to birth out in the marketplace as an entrepreneur, as a financier of the kingdom. And I know there's more of us in here where the Lord has called you to be a financier of the kingdom. And so you have to believe in him in such a way for him to uh, Birth that out within you for you to fulfill the mandate and the assignment. You don't have to be fearful that people are not going to buy it. He's going to bring those customers to you. He will. You just have to be obedient to his divine will and be before his face. Amen? And so let's keep moving forward. Am I good on time? Yes, I am. Okay. And so... When we go back to talking about the millennial mandate, it showed me something so profound. Imagine if this generation, the generation of believers were walking in the fullness of who God has called us to be. Imagine how much further along the kingdom of God would be right now, where we were all moving steadily towards purpose, towards destiny, towards who we are in him, standing flat-footed in our identity in him. Just imagine. So do you understand why the enemy's sinister agenda against this generation is to make them forget? Is to come against who you are as an individual, to come against who you are in Christ? That's why the assignment is so crucial. And so for me, I saw clear as day that if the enemy can make you doubt your identity, he can reconfigure everything God has ever planned and ordained for your life, especially if you fall into the trap. 
So now I am going to provide you with three, the three dangers of not knowing who you are in Christ. I'm going to provide you with three dangers that you have to watch out for, that you have to be very aware of. But first, let's look at our predecessors. The identity crisis really originated from Adam. Because forgetting who he was in Christ and what he carried made him susceptible to the sinister agenda of the enemy to strip him of it and leave him completely naked, completely vulnerable. Adam could hear God walking in the cool of the day. Adam had a relationship with God. He named all of the birds, all the fishes, all the animals. I mean, the level of authority Adam had. And to have that stripped away from him because he forgot what he carried and who he was. So that leads me to the first point. Number one, not knowing who you are in Christ or forgetting who you are in him leaves you vulnerable. It leaves you open for the enemy to use all his devices to cultivate that identity for you. And it's usually contrary to what God said. Look at what it cost Adam. Look at what it cost him. That is the reality. And that is such a danger that we face today. Because if you don't know who you are, the devil will let you know. And he will create that identity for you. And you're going to sit there thinking that is who you are. You're going to hear the whisperings in your ear, the slithering tongue of the enemy. And it's going to sound just like your voice. Trust me, I've been there. It sounded just like me. And I had to get to a point where I stopped. Because the deeper you go into God, the more you know when it's not his voice. And you could ascertain and discern. Like, Lord, that's not you. That's not your voice. That, you did not say that. But just imagine those, especially we could use the example of Pastor LeBron friend last night, if you stay on surface level. So that is the first danger. It leaves you vulnerable. It leaves you open for the enemy to cultivate that identity for you. Number two, not knowing who you are in Christ will make you squander his promises and the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life. You can't be a good steward over something that you don't see the value or importance in. You can't. God could have sent one of his prophets to give you a prophetic word that you are going to change the nations. He's bringing you to the nations. You're going to heal people. You're going to bring salvation to a, a group of people. You're going to bring deliverance. But because you are stuck in who you used to be or because you are stuck in who people try to tell you you are or how you failed all those other times or how you haven't even yet seen the manifestation of the first word you ever received from God, you lose sight of the fact that you serve a God whose ways are higher than your ways and whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He is the sovereign Lord. And so you have to be able to set your face and really see and look and become and like it has to become flesh in you like in Psalm 27 and 8 where he said, I would have lost faith. I would have lost hope had I not believed. You have to allow the hope of God to dwell in you. Why? Because you're not going to see some things right away. You're just not. And so for me, when I come into and I really dig deep and I talk into people of my, of my generation, of the, millenn like the millenn millennials like myself, when you can tap into who you are in Christ, your faith and your hope, you place in things, stop making sense. And if you don't believe what God has said concerning you, 
Because if he said it, it will happen. Apostle just spoke about it earlier. If he said it, it will happen. If, and if you don't believe that in the core of who you are, and you have to really be able to go back and reevaluate. Do you really know the God that you serve? Or I'll even ask you this. When has he ever, ever failed you? I'll wait. He has never failed me, ever. He might not have answered the prayer right away, but at 11.59, when I was waiting for the prayer to be answered at, by 12, he showed up at 11.59 and made sure he never failed me. And he, I know he's never failed you either. And so number three, not taking the time to ask God to reveal to you who you are in him makes it easier for you to relinquish the authority and power in the kingdom that is actually your inheritance. It makes it easier for you. It is easier for you to relinquish your seat of authority in Christ when you don't know who you are. Let's use Esau for example. We all know the story of Jacob and Esau where they were the twin brothers born to Rebecca and Isaac. And what happened with them is that we all know that Esau was the firstborn, so he was the heir to the family to the family birthright and also we see in the scriptures really in Genesis 25 25 speaks really candidly about this is that Jacob knowing what his brother really cared about and that his brother did not care about his birthright when Esau came in from the field Jacob asked him to sell him his birthright you can see this in Genesis 25 and 31 and when you go further in Genesis 32 to 34 you see how Esau really just sold his birthright to his brother for a meal Esau said, he said, because he had no interest in spiritual things, he said, I am at the point about to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And in that very moment, he revealed how worthless he considered the birthright. But Jacob knew and he understood the importance of it. And so I use that as an, as an example because if you don't recognize who you are and what you carry in Christ, by relinquishing it, another person will have no problem, problem swooping in and taking the seat that should have been yours. And when the time comes to approach the throne of God, when we all go to mercy, and we all, I hope to meet all y'all there, and the Lord asks you, what did you do with what I gave you? And you're going to say, Lord, you're not, what is going to be your answer? When you relinquish your seat of authority in Christ, that was rightfully yours, that was your inheritance, because you didn't understand the importance of it, and you allowed someone else to take it, and then the Lord is going to come before you and say, what did you do with what I gave you? And you won't have an answer. For this generation, a lot of us want instant gratification, we want our answers, our prayers answered. We want doors to be opened and prosperity to be our portion. But my question to you all is, have you stopped to analyze whether or not you measure up to the standard in which blessings can flow? How can you command things to break, to be loosed, or to manifest in your life if your identity is not steeped in Jesus Christ? Nothing is moving. I'm telling you, if you are not steeped in Jesus Christ, when you're commanding things to break off, ain't nothing moving. It's still there. You, it might feel like it moved, but it's not. It's going it's to be right back. Amen? And so for me, I really admonish our generation to really recognize who you are and what you carry. But unless your identity is in him, because God is a multi-generational God. 
And so a lot of the times when God will reveal things to you, some of the prophetic words, especially what I realized this is that when I realized this is that I'm a builder. I'm a builder. That is innately, that's part of my identity. But I didn't know how God planned to cultivate that in me until I joined this house. And until he made it so that I became a part and engrafted into a vision and a mandate that he was fulfilling in the earth through a sent messenger, then I understood like, oh, you're calling me to build this, but we're not building this for us. We're building this for the generations to come, for our children, for our children's children. That is what we're doing because we serve a multi-generational God. And if you look in the Bible, none of the words that God spoke, a lot of them, most of them were multi-generational. They didn't happen right away. And even if you look at his prophets, some of Isaiah's prophetic words did not occur until a generation had passed. Until we saw the fulfillment of it. So if you really think about it, and if you could grasp the fact that our God is a multi-generational God, and what he speaks into, sometimes you may not see it in your generation, but your kids might see it. Your kids' kids might see it. You will have a deeper understanding that what you carry is crucial to the kingdom. But unless your identity is steeped in Jesus Christ, you're going to think it's still about your gift, your anointing, your mantle, and it's just not. It is not. And if his word travels at the speed of light and he is not confined by time, it is no wonder why his living word encompasses generations. And we ta- they, were, they taught this at the prophetic continuum. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the prophetic continuum. It has blessed my life because I didn't know what continuum was before that. Bless the Lord. And so there are, there are many gifts, but how can you walk in the, full, in the gift fully if you don't know who you are in, the re- in relation to the vine dresser? And that's why... The minute God said, let there be, that word began its travel and jump-started the continuum. You have to be able to know who you are in relation to the vine dresser. So for me, I can plan my life all I want. I used to be one of those people that really wanted to have control because I wanted to feel like I had a semblance of control over what was happening. And the Lord um, delivered me very quickly from that. And I got to the point now where my GPS system in life is Jesus Christ. He is my navigation system. He is literally, I do nothing without going to the counsel of the Lord. I mean everything I do. And people will ask me sometimes, how did you do that? Um, I was in prayer. That's how I always start because I don't know anything other than Jesus Christ. He's all I have. I don't have a plan B because how can you have a plan B if you never had a plan A? This has got to work. What he speaks of in the Bible has got to work. And if it doesn't work, I'm screwed. It is, I need it to work. Why? Because if I am not in Christ and Christ is not in me, who am I? That is the question I ask myself. And that is the question this generation needs to ask themselves. And so as I wrap up, perfect, I made time. So I leave you with this. God can't use you if your identity in him is not intact. Double-mindedness is the enemy of self-actualization. And God is building up a generation of believers who are able to say, Lord, I don't need a seat at the table. Just give me a seat at your feet. That is the generation God is building up and what he is calling us into. He needs people who are at his feet, seeking his wisdom, seeking his face, with a desperation and a zeal for him that 
combat everything they may ever face in life. You have to be desperate for God in such a way where your life may be going through so many trials, so many tribulations. You may not know what's about to happen, but the minute you come into the divine presence of the Lord, everything else falls away. That is the level of desperation this generation needs and requires if we are going to combat what is coming up against us by the enemy. How desperate are you for God? How desperate are you for your relationship and your intimacy with him? That is the question. And so I hope all of you guys were blessed by this teaching today, just teaching about our identity. And now I want to leave the floor open if anyone has any questions, insights. We have a couple, we just have a few minutes, like three minutes before we transition. Any questions? It's okay if you don't. Thank you, Deacon. Thank you. Oh, that's easy. Authenticity. When I first joined this church, well, when I first came to this church, I found this church by mistake because we made a wrong turn. That's how I found this church. We made a wrong turn. But the, the funny thing is I had gone through a season of depression and I had never been depressed before. And anyone that knows me, I'm a very happy person. So my family didn't know how to handle me. And so one day my brother was like, you want to go to church? And I said, Okay. I had never joined a church formally before. So this was really like, I guess, like he saw that there was something really happening. And he said, oh, I went to this church five years ago where I saw this apostle. Let's go try to find it. I was like, we're just going to drive around New Haven and try to find a church. He was like, no, I, think it's, I think it's in Hamden now. So we drove around and we came and we were going up and down Dixwell. I'm like, listen, we're not going to find this church. And he said, all right, let's, I was like, turn in here so we could turn back around and go back home because we ain't going to church. And we turn into this, this little thing here. And he was like, wait, that's their face on that banner. I said, oh. And that's how we found this church. And I said, like, well, I guess it was meant to be. And so we walked in here. And the minute I walked in here, I was like, wait a minute. What is going on in this place? When I tell you it was mayhem, I had never seen worship like that. People were running around, praising, jumping. People were on the floor rolling around. People were, I don't know what was going on. But then I saw something so miraculous that day. I saw a desperation. 
And not only did I see a desperation, I saw an authenticity that I had not experienced in church before. Because the apostle came up and he said, I know I've been through hell. I know I've been through all of this. But you know what the Lord is doing in my life? And he just went for broke. And I said, preachers preach like this? And so for me, it shifted my paradigm because I used to visit those Catholic churches. So we used to sing hymns and no slight to the Catholic churches. But we, it was very calm and all that. And I came here and I was like, this is what the Lord is doing. So for churches in this region or churches in general to appeal to the millennial generation, they need you to be authentic and not fake authentic where you put it on like a cloak or you put it on like a costume and you go out and you play it like you're real and like you're really down, but then you're really not. You're not really, you never really lived that life. You never really experienced what we are trying to get through right now, but you have had to have lived it and you have had to have seen yourself come out of it for the better through Christ. And you have to be able to preach that to me for me to see it as a tangible testimony and a reference point for me to be like, wait, so when I'm able, when I'm struggling with things, because a lot of times when I came in here, every time apostle preached, I would leave very uncomfortable. I would leave very like convicted. And for me, I didn't understand. I'm like, okay. And I was realizing in that moment that God was calling me to shift my life and to change the construct of my life to fit into the dynamic of where he was calling me into. Because I had to be authentic if I was gonna be in this house. Because one, we are a prophetic and a, like, a apostolic and prophetic house, so they already saw everything I was doing anyway. And two, I knew that if I was gonna really serve God for real, I had to go for broke. And I'm one of those people, I'm, there, I'm two ends of the spectrum. Either I'm 110% in or I'm not in at all. There's no middle point with me. So I was like, Lord, if I'm gonna seek you, I'm gonna go for broke. And I'm going to do it like, in the most authentic way possible and how to live a life not only of purpose and destiny, but how to live a life out there that is, in, that is glorifying God no matter where I go. I walk into rooms and I shift atmospheres. And I don't even open my mouth because that is what has been birthed inside of me here. But you have to be able to find a place where the, the anointing is on authentic, the leaders are authentic, and the people that are surrounding you and are part of the ministry are authentic. And when they're going through stuff, they're not just trying to shield it like, I'm fine. When I'm telling you, when people in our house are going through things, they will come up to you like, listen, I need to see the elders because I need prayer. Our people will go, you know, we are transparent in our struggles. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. And if you can't be real in the house of the Lord, where are you going to be real at? Where? So authenticity is what is required to draw the millennial generation. We don't need the smoke, the smoke thingies. I never understand them when I see them in services. We don't need all of the, the blaring lights that hurt my eyes because my eyes are not that great. We don't, need all of the, we don't need all the gimmicks. We don't need the fluff. We need a real move of God. And I want you to show me for real that the God that you serve is actually real. Like, is he actually real? Like, the things that you preach about, are they real? And I want you to prove it by the way you live, by the way you carry yourself, by the way you shift things. I want to be able to see it with my own eyes because if I can't see it, I can't manifest it. That can't become a part of who I am. And so we have to see it. And not see, like, just moves of God and all that stuff. We have to see it in the believers, the people who are appointed to lead us into light, the legislative authority, that is who we have to see it in, and also the body of believers because the re responsibility falls on us too. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again, we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord 
to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.